I'm going to add my welcome to Zach's. Uh, my name is Kevin, uh, and I'm the pastor here at Grace Fellowship, and I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, your nostrils do not deceive you. You do smell bacon. That's our new attractional strategy for 2024. We're going to do bacon air fresheners just to draw people in off the street. No, um, actually, uh, we had a thank you breakfast for our uh, teachers and small group leaders this morning uh, to recognize them and thank them. And so also want to thank uh, Rob and Luann Palmer and Jason Harley for cooking breakfast uh, for our Sunday school teachers. It was good. Uh, there was also Koneka sausage involved. So, um, yeah, doesn't that make you want to be a Sunday school teacher? Uh, a little Koneka goes a long way. We are back in the Gospel of Matthew. If you're new to Grace Fellowship, uh, what we do for our sermons is we typically go through whole books of the Bible. And so since last year, we have been studying the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which is uh, one of four accounts uh, of the life of Jesus. Uh, And when we left Matthew back in November in chapter 10, Jesus was preparing his 12 disciples, uh, those disciples closest to him, to go out in his name, and proclaim good news to the nearby uh, towns and villages. Uh, And I liken that to a pregame speech. Uh, Jesus was preparing them for for ministry. One of the main themes of Jesus' charge in that chapter was opposition, that not everyone uh, would welcome those messengers. Not everyone would receive the message of Jesus. There was going to be a fair amount of opposition Now, what's interesting is we move into chapter 11, we don't actually get a report about how that mission went. We don't know anything about it, but what we do see uh, as we move into Matthew 11 and Matthew 12 is Jesus himself facing opposition. In fact, from this point forward, opposition to Jesus is going to steadily increase uh, as different people wrestle with who Jesus really is. So we're going to be in Matthew Chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 19, if you're using the the church Bible, it's on page 816, or should be. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you incline our hearts to you? Would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your Word? And would you satisfy us with your steadfast love? Would you bless, Lord, the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. When Jesus had finished instructing or charging his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. 
What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge or a lament for you, and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. You and I are like grass, and our glory is like the flower of grass. Grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Amen. What do you do with Jesus? That is really the question. It's the question that every person must answer. It's why Matthew writes his gospel. It's why we're studying his gospel. So that we can be presented with the real Jesus and decide what we're going to do with him. Will we accept him? Or will we reject him? That's what's beginning to happen here. There are two audiences in view in this passage. The first is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And I I say John, but really John isn't physically present. John is in prison uh, because he got on the wrong side of King Herod. And so John sends his disciples. But Jesus speaks to John through uh, John's disciples. And then there's a second audience in view, and that are the, that's the crowds that are gathering around Jesus. Uh, the first audience, John, he seems to be wrestling with some doubt, and so Jesus has a message of encouragement for him. To the second audience, the crowds, Jesus has a warning because they are being fickle. They are being indecisive. Jesus likens them to children playing games. Uh, And so we're going to look at this passage under those two headings. First, encouragement for the doubter. And second, uh, a warning to the fickle. Just like that word, fickle. It's fun to say. Encouragement for the doubter. I, I call John a doubter, and I don't mean that in an unbelieving, skeptical sort of way. I mean that in an earnest, honest, believing, but struggling sort of way. And and 
the reason I say that he's doubting is because of the question that he asks. Uh, He hears about all that Jesus is doing, and he sends his disciples, uh, he's in prison, he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he asks, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? Now, that's an odd question for John to ask. Why? Because John, the very beginning of this gospel, we met him last year sometime, remember when we looked at that passage, but at the very beginning of the gospel, it's John whose job is to prepare people for Jesus, uh, to prepare people for the Messiah. And John actually recognizes Jesus as the Messiah when Jesus comes to him to be baptized, to be washed. He even says, I'm not worthy uh, to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. Uh, in another gospel, John's gospel, different John, I know it can get confusing, He he even points at Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So at one point, John was very confident that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He is the one who was to come. So what's changed? Why is John now asking this question about Jesus? Well, it was John's mission to get people ready, and his mission, his message, was one of repentance. And if you go back and you look at what John was saying, he was very stern, he was very hard, he was calling people to repent, he was telling people to flee from the wrath that was to come. John's understanding, and it's a right understanding, he got it from the prophets in the Old Testament, is that when God's kingdom would arrive, it would bring both rescue and judgment. Salvation and judgment. And so John understood his mission was to prepare people for that day. And then Jesus comes and he begins preaching and he has the same message as John. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as he goes about preaching and teaching and healing, John doesn't see any judgment. John doesn't see the justice of God that he talked about. In fact, from where John sits, not only has justice not come, but it looks like injustice continues to prevail. From his cell in prison, right, in his view, when the Christ shows up, then he's supposed to, to flip everything right side up. But from where John is sitting in prison, it looks like everything is still upside down. Because John has been imprisoned by an unrighteous king for preaching the truth. And so John asks, have I missed something? Are, are you the one that we were expecting or, or should we be looking for someone else? And I'm so glad that John asked this question. Because it reminds us that spiritually mature people struggle. Spiritually mature people can have doubts. We can have this wrong impression of holiness or maturity, this kind of ironclad, untouchable person who's always confident and unwavering. But that's not true. John is a holy man. He is called and directed by God. We are told that he is full of the Holy Spirit. 
that he did ministry in the power of the Spirit. And yet, he has honest questions. He's looking at his circumstances. His ministry is over. He's at death's door. And so, he's honestly asking, am I wrong? Did I miss something? What have I misunderstood? And that's the second thing that we can learn from John. In his doubt, he takes those honest questions to Jesus. The spiritually mature man or woman is not this independent juggernaut. No, spiritual maturity means that when you're faced with fear and doubt and uncertainty, you run to Jesus. And that's what John does. And I want you to look at how Jesus answers him. In verse 4, Jesus tells John's disciples, Go, tell John all that you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news proclaimed to them. Now, here's the thing. John had heard all of that already. We're told that he had heard about the deeds of the Christ. That's Matthew's title, that word, the Christ. It's the Greek word for Messiah, the Hebrew word. It means the anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name. John had heard all of this. It's why he sent messengers to Jesus, because Jesus, what, what John thought Jesus should be doing and what Jesus was doing were two different things. John's expectations and reality were in two different places. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But look at what Jesus says. It's not so much what he says, but how he says it. Jesus describes his ministry in words that would have been familiar to John. Because John knew his Bible. I want you to listen to these descriptions of the Messiah from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then, on the day of the Lord, when the Messiah comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. You see, Jesus is comforting John by drawing him back to God's word in the prophet Isaiah. He's, in fact, Jesus' description, Jesus' ministry actually goes beyond what Isaiah said it would. Right? Isaiah didn't mention anything about the dead being raised, but Jesus did that. Right? So Jesus' ministry is even better than what Isaiah foresaw. And so it's as if Jesus is taking John under his arm and saying, hey, let's go listen to Isaiah and remember what Isaiah said. You see, I am the one. I am the one that everyone's been accepting. I am the one that you're looking for. What a gentle answer. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't just crush John. 
In fact, in another place in Isaiah, the Messiah is described this way. It says, a a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. That's John. John is that bruised reed. He's in a rough spot. And Jesus doesn't say, what are you doing, John? You should know better than that. You, You guys go back and you tell John he needs to get with the program. Mm-mm. No, Jesus is gentle with his struggling servant. He says, remember, remember the truth. Remember what it says and look, look at my life and see how these things are coming to pass. And then he says this. Blessed is the one, happy is the one who is not offended by me. That word offended means to trip over or to stumble And that's what John was doing. He was stumbling over Jesus. Right again, because his expectations of what Jesus should be doing and what Jesus was doing are in two different places. I have a strong belief that uh, a lot of our grief, sadness, anger, fear, worry, disappointment comes from unmet expectations. Right, that gap between what I think is supposed to happen and what really happens. And the, the distance of that gap is probably the measure of our disappointment. The bigger the gap, the more we stumble, the more we're offended. And so Jesus is giving John a, a light rebuke. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. John, I love you. It's not my job to meet your expectations. You need to align yourself to my expectations. And that word is true for us as well. Like John, we need to align our expectations to Jesus, not Jesus to our expectations. Then we will experience Blessing, happiness, joy. So that's his encouragement to the doubter. How does he deal with the fickle? As John's disciples are leaving, but probably still within earshot, Jesus turns to the crowds uh, and he begins talking about John. Why? Because if you were a, a bystander and you overheard that conversation that Jesus had with John's disciples, you might think, guess John and Jesus aren't on the same team. And so Jesus wants to correct any misunderstanding. He wants to speak into that tension, and he does so by honoring John. He says that John, there's no one born of woman, there's no ordinary person greater than John. And he asks him, what would you go out there to see, right? These people, This crowd of people, they probably went out into the wilderness to see John. John, when he was doing his ministry, was very popular, right? It was was an attraction that people wanted to go out into the wilderness to see. And so Jesus gets at their motives. He says, what did you go out there to see? Did you go out there to see a a tumbleweed? A reed shaken by the wind? Someone who blows to and fro with the prevailing authorities? No, that's not John. He was bold, he was strident, he was confident, he did, not ma- he did not care who he offended. Right? So that's not what you went out there to see. 
Did you go out there to see a, a man in soft clothing, somebody who dresses like and accommodates himself to royalty? Nope. That's not, that's not what John was like. John wore camel hair and he ate bugs. He's a weird dude. And ironically, he's not in a king's house. He's under it. He's in the dungeon. So what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, you're right. John was a prophet. And then Jesus says, but he was more. Abundantly more is the word. He was abundantly more than a prophet. He actually was the fulfillment of prophecy. In Malachi 3.1, the Lord says that he would send his servant ahead of the Messiah to prepare his way. Jesus says, that's John. In Malachi 4, 5, uh, the Lord says, I will send Elijah uh, to prepare for my arrival. Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, if you'll pay attention, that's John. John is the forerunner of the Messiah. He's the one, you, you should have paid attention to him. Because he is the one who is getting ready for the Messiah. And if that's who John is... Who does that mean Jesus is? He's the Messiah. See, in talking about John, Jesus is actually revealing himself to the crowds. And he's telling them, pay attention. Right? When he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, that's what he means. It's like when we say, listen up. Pay attention. Right? He says, but instead, you guys are like children playing games. What's he mean by that? Well, you're, you're either a child or you were one once. You've been on the playground. And you got one group of kids who's like, man, let's, let's go play hide and seek. And the other group says, nah, I don't want to play hide and seek. And so then the first group says, okay, well, let's play kickball. And the other group goes, nah, I don't want to play kickball either. Well, what do you want to do? That's, that's the situation that Jesus is facing. He says, John came, and he wasn't eating or drinking, right? Again, he, he was a very stern, austere, hard man. And you looked at him, and you said, mm, I want that. He has a demon. But then I come, and I'm eating and drinking, and you say, Whoa, he eats too much. He drinks too much. He hangs out with the wrong kind of people. He's like, you're like fickle little children. You won't repent with John, and you won't rejoice with me. So what do you want? Pay attention. You are standing at the turning point of history. That's how he describes John's ministry. He says, all the law and the prophets spoke, prophesied up until John. John is the last in a long line of faithful prophets preparing people for my arrival. And now the kingdom has come. And violent men are trying to take it by force, probably referring to Herod imprisoning John. So he's looking at these fickle crowds, these indecisive people, and he's saying, you've got to make your mind up. The moment is now. The kingdom is here. Are you willing to accept me or not? 
And then he closes by saying, yet wisdom is validated, is justified by her deeds. What he means is this. God's wisdom is in Jesus. And Jesus' ministry is not validated by public opinion. Jesus' ministry does not need the approval of the crowd to be valid. What validates Jesus' ministry is the effect it has in the hearts and lives of people who accept it. And so Jesus' warning is an invitation. Will you be like John and run to me? Or will you continue to play games until it's too late? And that invitation to them is the same invitation for us. Where do you stand with Jesus this morning? Will you accept him as God's promised Savior? I urge you, don't remain fickle like the crowds, but run to Jesus, just like John. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word as we move towards the table to receive communion. Lord, we pray that your word would continue to come with power, that you would help us not to treat you, Lord Jesus, with indifference, but that we would see you as the only one in whom we can find hope, our Lord and Savior. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite our